Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Guys, just a quick review because it's been a while. If you guys remember, we said that Saul, the king, died, and now we have, after he died, his son took over. He only had one son, one son left, Meth Ashboshish. He's the one who took over. Now David was only in charge of Judah, which is basically like one tribe. What happened was David had an army commander, his name is Joab. Ashboshish had an army commander, his name is Abinir. And you guys remember that Abinir did not like the Saul's son, and he was in charge, he was running everything. Ashboshish didn't know anything. So he went and to David and he tried to have an agreement with him to make him a king. And then we know there was a conflict between Joab and Abinir, and then at the end, Joab ended up killing Abinir. So David's army commander ended up killing Saul's army commander. And then last time, if you guys remember, what happened was, is that actually David was very saddened that the commander of Saul was killed in an unfair way, and he, was, he, he lamented over his death. Now, why, why are we talking about all of this stuff? Because the Bible wants to let us know that the greatest king of history in the nation of Israel became a king not by human devices. There was a lot of evil around him. There's a lot of things that went wrong. But still God allowed all these circumstances to happen and yet he made him a king and he did not have to fight for it. David, he sinned a lot, but he, he did not use any unethical means to obtain the kingdom. He did not use any unethical means to obtain the kingdom. So now we still have a problem. David is still a king over Judah, and Saul's son is still a king over Israel, which is most of Israel. So now, in order for David to become a king, something has to happen to that king. So we're going to talk, see what happens to Saul's son. It said, when Saul's son heard that Abinir had died in Hebron, he lost heart, and all Israel was troubled. We said, Ashboshes, he left all the kingdom to Abinir, so he does not know what to do. He's not qualified, and he's not trying to learn, so now he's living in fear. And by the way, obviously fear is one of the biggest driving forces in our life. Sometimes even people are more driven by fear than by love. They're more willing to do things when they're afraid than, than, than when they have to do it because they love somebody. And Ashboshish, he was driven by fear and he did not try to deal with his fear. He knew that he might not have the ability to run the kingdom, but he did not try to develop his skills, develop his personality to go forward. He just lifted and washed his hands. Now Saul, Saul's son had two men who were captains of troop, troops. The name of one was Baneha and the name of the other was Rishab. The sons of Ramon, the Bethrolites of the children of Benjamin, for Bethro was part of Benjamin. Just slowly. What's happening is during Saul time, Saul had an issue trusting people a lot. So the people he kept around him were either people from Benjamin, or he actually got some people who were not Jewish to be responsible it's almost like a secret service. The people who are protecting the present, the people who are protecting the king. They are people from, who are not Jewish, but also kind of 
had had a political alliance with Benjaminites. Okay, so the the main reason that some of you uh, your Bible might find uh, it's putting uh, Petrosus. This was part of Benjamin in a parenthesis because this population has fled previously the land and were replaced by the Benjaminites. So they were the people who were left over in Benjamin a long time ago. Because the Petrolites fled to Gatim and have been sojourner there until this day. Okay? Now, Jonathan, son, so you guys keep in mind, I'm sorry, it's a lot of names, so I just want you to keep in mind. Jonathan, so Saul had Jonathan, Jonathan died. Jonathan had a son, so now if Saul's son dies, Jonathan's son is the only one who can become a king. Had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jerizal, and his nurse took him up and fled, and it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So there is, there is Mephibosheth, that's Jonathan's son, and Ashbosheth, that's Saul's son. Okay? All of this, the Bible is trying to explain to us the condition and how David became a king. Now, Jonathan's son, uh, the sons of Raymond, the Bethrites, and Rahab, Rahab and Benaha set out and came about the heart of the day to the house of Ashboshesh, who was lying on his bed at noon. And they came there and all the way into his house, as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. And Rahab and Benaha, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he was lying on the bed in his room, and they struck him and killed him, beheaded him, and took his head, and, and were all night escaping through the plains. What's happening here? The two captains, the two secret service guys who were responsible for protecting the king, Ashboshesh, what did they do? They walked in and they stabbed him, and they killed him. I want to stop here for just a few minutes. You have to ask yourself, why did they do such a thing? Ashboshesh is a weak king, and they are a secret service. So actually, when you have a weak king, you might think, well, I have, I have more control. So having somebody like a puppet who's not doing much, that gives me more control. So why would I want to get rid of somebody who's weak so I could come and take over? I mean, I, those people probably would have more influence now that Joab is dead and there's a weak king in the kingdom. There's one thing I want you guys to keep in mind, and we see it a lot in our life. When you work in a place, when you don't have good leadership, when you don't have a clear goal, when you're not inspired, when you don't feel your value, people complain. A lot of places you go to, they might pay you well, but you feel you don't have somebody with a vision, you don't, you're not working towards something, eventually complaining enters. Actually, in a lot of companies, people complain more when they have free time than when they are busy. When they're busy, the complaining is minimum and they feel they are valued. So, why am I telling you this? Because sometimes I might seek an easy life. Or I might think the life I am in is not as, as I am seeking, is not as satisfying. But a lot of times the life that really gives a lot of satisfaction is a life that is goal-oriented. A life that has a vision. A life that has a clear goal. Because the leader was weak, because there was no vision, they ended up getting rid of him. 
And they brought the head of Ashboshesh to David at Hebron. And they said to the king, Here is the head of Ashboshesh, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my lord, the king, this day of Saul and his descendants. You guys have seen this theme repeated a lot. Everybody gets rid of the king of, of Israel and they bring their head back to David. And tell him, Look, we did you a great favor. This is, can you imagine? This is the mindset of the people at that time. They kill the enemy. They kill their own king, the person that feeds them, and they go to David and tell him, look, we killed your enemy. Why are they doing this? They're trying to flatter him for benefit. They're trying to flatter them for what? For benefit. And I'll tell you guys something. In our life, sometimes, a lot of time, this happens. When you have a close friend of yours, who, for example, you know, they might come to your birthday, they get you a gift, so there's a good relationship with them and then you find yourself having to compromise your own morals just because this friend you have a good relationship together those people at that time their mindset is let's kill so we can have favor with David because they knew eventually that David would be the king because of the divine promise that they, they took one of the things also you'll see that those people were foolish they took an action, they thought that this action would please David without knowing who David is. Sometimes we project our own values on other people without knowing what they appreciate, what they want. So that's why Abinir, if you guys remember him when he was murdered, he was a very wise man. He went to David and he sat with him and he wanted to see what he wanted and he started to make a deal with him. That's why it's important for me to understand the person in front of me. And David answered Rechab and Benia, his brother, the sons of Rimon and Berothites, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversary. Now when they brought the head of Saul, David started to speak. And David, at this time, he started to look at his life in a different way. He told him, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversary. David started to see that his life was basically a rescue mission. God kept rescuing him from one thing to another, from one thing to another, from one thing to another. And he told them, God saved me. I am saved because of what God is doing in my life. I can no longer do anything but the work of God. I can't do anything else but the work of God. These are the people who see what God did in their life. Um, and I won't tell you how many times and you sit with people who are at their deathbed and all what they speak about is what God has done in their life. And he's telling them, when someone told me saying, look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and, ex and executed in Ziglag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. And you guys remember this event happened in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Somebody came and told him, uh, you know, Saul asked me to kill him and I killed him and he thought I brought him cold news, told him, I killed him when he told me this. And by the way, this shows you David's heart. When somebody told him, the person who's trying to kill you is dead, he's not happy. What kind of news makes us happy? 
Sometimes when we hear people are succeeding, we actually get envious and jealousy from what they're going through. What in you is making me happy? Is it mainly self-centered news or news that actually brings good to the kingdom of God? How much more when wicked men have killed the righteous person in his own house on his bed, therefore shall I not now require his blood at your hands and remove you from the earth. He's telling them, when people told me, told me that Saul asked them to kill them, I killed them. How about you? You stabbed somebody on, on his bed and he's innocent. You know that I love how David see Ashboshes as a righteous man. You know, I, I want you guys to, to really not take this lightly. David, when he looked at Saul, he said, this is the anointed of God. Jonathan was the love of his life. Abner was a man who's strong and honorable. Ashboshes is a righteous man. All the people who at some point tried to, to kill David, he saw them in a very positive way. Have you ever have a friend or somebody you know? He sees everybody good. And you'll be like, it's frustrating. How is it that everybody's good? How is it that you love everybody, no matter what? And sometimes you find it difficult. This is why God said that David's heart is my heart. And David, by the way, the law of Moses requires when you murder somebody is that you also be put to death so he was not he as a leader now he's the one who's a king as a leader it is his his uh, responsibility to fulfill the law so when they came and told him we killed your enemy he told them i'm gonna put you to death i'm gonna put you to death so David commanded his young men and they executed them, cut off their heads and feet and hung them in the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ashboshesh and buried it in the tomb of Abinor in Hebron. So David immediately, he fulfilled the law. One of the worst things that leaders do is that they pick and choose and they are not consistent in fulfilling the laws of God. They pick and choose based on people's relationships and friendship. We're going to do this, we're going to do that. And David himself had this weakness that to a good degree he was able to deal with it. With Joab, for example, he couldn't do anything. He had it with one, one or two persons. But in general, it's something that we have to be careful about because sometimes close people, which tend to be, we tend to compromise with them a lot. Now the moment is here finally where David will become a king over all Israel. So we'll see what happens in verse 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke saying, Indeed you are, uh, indeed we are your bone and your flesh. If you guys remember, Abinir already spoke with the tribes of Israel and they're all prepared to accept David as a king. Finally, David became a king by the request of the people. It is very important that I don't seek leadership position, especially in a spiritual means. Some people always say, how do I grow in service? You know how you grow in service? You become more humble. 
What's new in service? What else can I do? Have you perfected what you're doing? Have you asked God what He wants you to, to be? I never forget this. We had a, a really wonderful servant in, in Egypt. Amazing, wonderful. And I, I moved to a different state and I met him. And I asked him, I told him, are you serving? Ali, no. I told him, why? Ali, because nobody called me to serve. And then he called me, he told me, are you free Wednesday night? I told him, yes. Ali, come over my house. We, me and a couple of people just sit and pray for the service. We should never seek a spiritual leadership. When God calls somebody to it, He calls them to it. And it doesn't have to be in a formal way. Maybe God will call you to be a mother or a brother or a father to a child in church or a child outside the church. When the elders came to David, they told him, what you are born and I was born in our flesh. That reminds you of what? Of Genesis. When God created Eve, He told him, this is the bone of my bone, the flesh of my flesh. There is a marriage between uh, uh, people who serve each other in a spiritual environment. A real marriage. A real new being being created. When we talk about leadership, when we talk about fatherhood, motherhood in a spiritual sense. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be a ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David a king over Israel. So, when they came to anoint David over Israel, they highlighted a few things. But let's get a think about it very good. Number one, they told him that the tie between us and you are very strong. You are our brother. And you see this related in Deuteronomy 17.15 when God was giving instruction of the king. He told them, You surely set the king over you from whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren. You shall sit as a king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. So to them, number one, they're telling David, David, you are a brother. You're a brother to us. Number two, they told him that you have proven yourself as a good military leader. You have the right qualification for you actually to lead us. Number three is there is a divine approval. God himself called you to become. Number four, they told him that we will have a covenant with you based on what? You being a shepherd. He is, by the way, being a shepherd is the highest possible model of faithfulness. I always kid when I think of a shepherd, I think of a mom holding a baby in her hand. Oh, what he does, he cries. And she has to figure out when he needs to eat, when she needs to change his diapers, when she needs to take him to the doctor, when he needs to burp, all the things. She has to figure it out and she has to do everything for him. She's tell they're telling him, you will be our shepherd. It saddens me sometimes when I find people trying to put limits on service. 
Bună. We don't need to pick up the kids. The parents should drop them off. What if the parents are not close to church? What if the parents don't know better? They're going to leave the kids. Abuna, the parents should pay for this. What if the parents, the church is not a priority for them? We're going to leave the kids. There is a shepherd relationship. Shepherd relationship. And what does the shepherd do? He dies for the sake of the sheep. And they are sitting a covenant in front of God. It's not a contract. It's a covenant. And I, maybe I explained to you before the difference between a contract and a covenant. But a, co a contract, there's agreement between two people. And then when you break it, the contract is over. A covenant does not get broken. For example, we have a... I, I give you this example before. We have a covenant, for example that I need to follow the laws of, 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 of the driving laws. So if one time I got a ticket speeding, that does not mean, okay, I broke the law, now I can broke it whenever I want to. I must continue to follow the law. It's a covenant. The laws are there. And they will not change. Even if I made a mistake, I'm restored back to the covenant after I you know, repent or whatever this I need to do. Now they said David was 30 years old when he began to reign and he reigned for 40 years. Look, this verse sounds very insignificant. When I was reading this verse, my heart was aching. When David became a king, he was 30 years old. He's very young. And not only that, if you think about it, he was running away from Saul and leading an army and living in caves. So he probably started his tough life in early 20s. From his early 20s, David is running around with great responsibilities, with the life of people on his hands. This is the model of a child of God. God wants his children to be responsible. God wants his children to be responsible. Like for example, when we talk about Abun Abshur Kamil, Abun Abshur Kamil started what? Late 20s, early 30s? Late 20 years. Right before Kila, when he's about turned 50, he went to heaven. In such a short period of time, he served God with great faithfulness. Very young, and he served amazing. And then also, being 30 <coughs> reminds us. That our Lord Jesus Christ started his service when he was 30. And David the prophet is one of the types of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. There's a sense of responsibility. And he's reigned for how many years? 40 years. And remember, the number 40 represents our life on earth. It's the four seasons of the year times 10, the number of completion. It's almost like the, the, the work of David or the kingdom of David is supposed to point us to the kingdom of Christ. So seven and a half years he spent in Judah, 33 years in Israel. This was his kingdom. Now when David became a king, by the way, until now, we have not yet spoken about Jerusalem at all. 
Jerusalem will become a more of a city in the time of David. We'll talk about it more today. Is a conquest of Jerusalem. This is a city that many people have fought over for thousands of years until today. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites and the inhabitants of the land who spoke to David saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will rebel you. Thinking David cannot come in here, nevertheless David, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. So what's happening? David wanted to come and take over Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was a well-protected city. And the Jebusites, there were a, min a, a minority peoples of Canaan. Okay? And you'll see them in the book of Judges, chapter 19. So Jerusalem had a strong city wall made out of stone, and they were protected from in a strong hold. And people can even easily, if you, if you come close to the city, they'll drop off some stones, they can kill you. So they were saying that even, this was a saying at this time, even the lame and the blind can protect Jerusalem. Two people who cannot move and cannot see, they can easily protect Jerusalem from how fortified Jerusalem was as a city. So, what did David do? David took a stronghold outside Jerusalem. Okay? And he took it as a way, as a, his place, to slowly by slowly reigning over Jerusalem. And the stronghold in David's life will become a point of him where he will retreat to and a point of him where he will talk to God and start all his action. What is a stronghold? I think a stronghold, a stronghold is, a, is, a, is a maybe a tower or something where you surround it with walls to protect yourself so you can run when the enemy comes, you can go uh, you can go uh, attack the enemy and come back and hide in it. And it's important for us, all of us in our life, that we start also having our stronghold. Because if we don't have an area where I can meet with God in, I will not be able to retreat from the world and reflect and get strengthened and refreshed and go back. The importance of us retreating and spending time with God. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captains. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So David, to motivate his people to go and fight in Jerusalem, told him, whoever enters Jerusalem and able to defeat the lame and the, and the blind. When he's talking about the lame and the blind, they're not physically lame and blind. This is the saying of this area of the lame and the blind can defend the walls. He told him, if anybody can go in and defeat them, I will make them chief and captains. If, if my, my senses and my eyes and my heart are able to stay holy in the midst of the most terrible environment. They, that means they have been fed by God a lot. And it means that they can get promoted a lot because they no longer look at the world. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called 
did the city of David, and David built all around it from the middle and inward. So David went and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. So David, he built a strong, a strong uh, hole, and he started running to God. And now, what would he do is, he, he started making people go and attack Jerusalem as much as they can, until he was able to take it. And then he started, in a, in a spiritual sense, they started kind of slowly by slowly entering Jerusalem. For us, for us as Christians, our city Jerusalem is our feelings and our thoughts. And once we, we watch our thoughts and our feelings our, and our senses, then it's easy for us to, to be a children of God, be stronghold, and be able to attack, to attack the, the, the kingdom of the, the devil. Okay? And you'll see something kind of nice. He said that David, he built the stronghold from inside out. Because if I don't have walls around my senses, for example, and I don't have protection around my senses, anybody can come and steal me. Steal what I have. And what do I mean? If I don't train my eyes not to look at anything, and I don't train my eyes to be super curious, you know, some eyes are super curious. They go to a house, they want to look at everything. They go to a mall, they want to look at everything. My eyes became so, so curious. It is not trained. There is no wall around it. So even if I go to church and get some peace or I learn something, once I go outside, everything will be stolen. Because I have not built a wall around my eyes. Same thing with my ears. I constantly listen to bad music and bad shows and bad curses and drama and stories and gossip and, and, and. Even if I go to church and learn something or I read a book, it will be stolen because I have not learned to build a wall around my ears. But building a wall around it and building inside out. A lot of times we build outside, but we don't build what inside. And then obviously David saw that everything he was doing or able to do is because God himself has blessed him. The Bible here says, and, and, and God, God of hosts was with him. And that's the most beautiful thing. You will see here when David was taking a lot of actions and following and everything because he was living in a spiritual state, he was able to see everything around him from a God point of view. I'm going to give you a small example to clarify this. If you are close to God and you walk with Him and you receive some hardship in your life or a person, or a difficult person that came into your, your life, sometimes you see this as a blessing or as a training development that God allows you to go through. If you get some difficulties, you might find yourself taking it with joy. Now, if you're, if you're far away from God, sometimes you feel, is this a punishment from God? Is God doing this because... I, I haven't done this and I haven't done this and I haven't done this. The way I view events in my life reflects on my connection with God. The way I view events in my life reflects on my connection with God. Then Haram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David 
and cedar trees and carpenters and masons and built David a house. So David knew that the Lord has established him as a king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Now David is walking with God. He's building his spiritual stronghold. He's becoming more and more a child of God. Now something strange happened. Foreign kings started not just trying to build a relationship with him, started giving him too many gifts. Israel as a kingdom, by the way, is not that big. So for a king of Tyre to feel like he has to make a relationship with David, it's just too much, you know what I mean? So he started, not only this, they got him so many, got best wood. Tyre, by the way, was, was an important port. And it had a lot of trading from the Eastern Mediterranean. And they had the best wood. So he brought him best wood and built him a very, very nice palace in, in Israel. And David said, you know what? This is, God is doing this and he's building me a house. I'll tell you guys something, almost, almost, yeah. every family I go, they ask me, come and, Abuna, can you come pray in our, in our new house? I'll go. They almost tell me, they tell me a story how God led them to this house. And we went on so many homes and and we were supposed to renew our rent and somehow we delayed it and we forgot and this happened. Everybody has a different story. And when it's clear, people see that this is the hand of God that worked in our life. David saw that this, all these blessings in his life are from God. One of the things that, especially in our culture, promotes, I deserve this, I earned this, I worked hard for this. Where is the blessing of God who brought you here and made you even start in a mess in a country like America? And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron and also more sons and daughters were born to David. Now these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shamuel, Shabab, Nathan, Solomon, Abihar, Elisha, Nefgag, Jabai, Alisham, Eliada, and Eliphleth. All these, all of these. So what did David do, by the way? David, he went to Jerusalem and he got, he married more wives and he had more concubines. I want to just say two comments on this point. What David did here is a violation of what our Lord told people in Deuteronomy when they had the king. He told them, neither shall they multiply wives for, them, for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. So God already in the law told the king, you should not have a lot of wives. Okay? Now, why is this significant? Because the culture at this time allowed people to marry a lot. And almost because of how often the culture committed the sin, it became almost normal. And people almost looked at this commandment and ignored it. Even David himself, a righteous man, kind of ignored the commandment because everybody's doing it. And you can think about this even in our, our own times today. And yani for example, Muslim, people not respecting the church, the cell phones that goes off the church, sometimes become normal. People, for example, that are obsessed with excessive pleasure, drinking, that sometimes people do it and they think it's absolutely normal. 
It has, does not reflect the life of Christians anymore. Uh, some people, for example, yani, uh, they consider abortion normal. Some people consider, for example, lying normal. And when you talk to them, they forgot the commandments. So even a righteous man committed the sin and ignored it because it was what everybody else was doing. Yes, God blessed him and God was with him and everything, but this was one of his shortcomings. And by the way, this will make him even sin even more later on. This became one of David's weakness, is that he constantly looking to add more wives and more people to his own his own family. Now, David at this point, obviously as we mentioned, David at this point was still walking with God, still following God, but he, this was a weakness that was the impact of the culture. And some of the similar things we see at weddings and all this stuff. He ignored some of the commandments of God because of the culture that's around him, which obviously is not acceptable. Now, when the, the Philistines, by the way, were very happy when David was in charge of Judah alone. He was okay. Just a little guy with a little area, no big deal. Now David is in charge of all Israel, so it's a problem. So now when the Philistines heard they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went out to search for David. And David heard of it and went to down where the stronghold. And the Philistines also went and deployed themselves into the valley of Rephraim. Look, the couple of couple of wars that we're going to go through, they represent a lot of our spiritual wars. When you walk with God, the first war that attacks you is your past, is your past experiences, is your past relationships, your past friends. David, at some point, if you guys remember, he was going to fight with the Philistines against Israel. He hid under the Philistines. And he started fighting the Amaleks and killing them and getting the spoils. And he used to give it as a gift to a local king of the Philistines. So when the Philistines come after him, it could be intimidating for him. We have fed you, we have kept you, we have done all this stuff for you. But where did David go? David ran to his stronghold. He went to, stronghold usually is, a, is a under the ground. He went to a lower place, not his home. Not the home that they just built for him, the fancy home. He went down and he started to pray. And he started asking God for strength and for guidance. And said to so David, inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver me into their hands? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtlessly deliver the Philistines into your hands. And David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has spoken through my enemies, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me, like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. David, at that time, he lived by faith. He, he had a war that's coming, and the first instinct he had was let me go and sit with God 
that I could deal with my own fears. I could deal with my own problems. God, I am afraid of this. I am embarrassed of this. I'm going to be honest with you. Many people have an, have an impression that prayer does not work. I'll tell you something. Whenever you pray in a spiritual warfare or needing of help to fulfill the commandments of God, you will not be turned down. I'm saying it with the confidence that I have in the word of God and the promises of God and the experience of the children of God. If you run to God in a spiritual warfare, what do I mean by spiritual warfare? There's drama happening around me. And people are talking, this person is talking, this person said this, and this person said that. And now I'm afraid, and my reputation is on the line, and this person is on the line. I go to my stronghold and pray. I have, I have anxieties, for example, about my ability to stand up for certain things. I go down to my stronghold and pray. And the beautiful thing is, David saw that God broke through the lines of the enemies. He says, like water. Broke th breakthrough of water. And he named this day, he gave it a name. Because he said, I have memory of God that day. Uh, Bel Perzim means the Lord of the breakthrough. The Lord of the breakthrough. God broke through the water that day. And they left the images there and David sent his men and carried them away. Obviously, when they go to war, they take their idols with them. Because of, see, they were fighting David with fear. Now they were afraid and they left their idols behind. Their own idols that they're supposed to intimidate. David fell on the ground and they had no, no strength and no power. No gods can oppose the God of Israel. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the Valley of Prime. Look, spiritual warfare does not stop. Rest and war, rest and war does not stop. And sometimes the devil will see you in the Holy Week praying and doing this stuff. He will leave you completely. Be like, enjoy Holy Week, Habib. No issue. I'll wait for you Tuesday after Holy Week. Why? Because you're fighting, you're a warrior. After Holy Week, you're what? You're not doing anything. That's what happened. War, rest, war. So they came again. Therefore David inquired of the Lord and he said, You shall not go up. So he told, David told, asked God, Should I go up again? Like, Even though David had the first victory, the second, he asked God again. You shall not go up, circle around behind them and come upon them in the front of the mulberry tree. And it shall be when you hear the sound of the marshing and the tops of the mulberry tree, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David said so as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines from Gaza as far as Gezer. Lord told, the God told him, look, go behind them. And you're going to hear a noise. This noise is God himself. 
And once you hear that noise, go quickly. Because the Lord himself is leaving the war. Can you imagine God himself is telling David, here is the plan for the war. One, two, three. This is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to fight it. This is how you're going to win. And you know what's beautiful? Two victories over the Philistines and the experiences that David has with God is not the same. Each one is different. Each one is different. Each prayer is different. Each kid serve this day you serve is different. You learn something new. So at this point here we see that David is spending a lot of time in prayer. He no longer fights on his own. He depends on God. Everything is walking in his life in a very holy time, in a very holy way. And this was the greatest time in the life of David and in the life of the nation of Israel. God himself was leading everything. And this is the way that our life would be if we allow God to interfere in all our prayers. David accomplished what Saul had failed to do, which made God lead his life. Made God lead his life. And I'll tell you guys something as an as even experience. Many times in our services, we start many things without praying. We start many things without consulting God. We start many relationships without putting things on the altar. We go for many jobs without even seeking what God wants. Constantly make decisions every day. When do we go to God? When things are outside our control. And this is, if you want God to lead your life, you must get Him involved constantly in your life. Do not leave your stronghold, your prayer, life. This is how God intervenes what's in our life. Every day is a new day that you learn something from God. Trust me. And God talks to us at a time when we're not expecting. And you learn a lesson from everybody. I actually, I'll tell you a story before I continue. Last week, I had uh, somebody who was sick in the hospital, so I went to give them communion, and there were two people in a tribal church once. So I went to give a very old lady communion. After I gave her communion, I told her, do you have water so I could make her drink water? She's like, no, no, I can't take water. I told her, why? Actually, because I have today uh, uh, some tests they have to do, and they told me not to eat or drink. She said, but you just took communion. Actually, no, your one of communion doesn't count. I took it by faith. It has no impact. In my heart, I said, according to her faith. Whatever God does, it's according to her faith. Yeah. I give the other lady communion, and then I go home. Yeah, like that night, I got a message from her, from her, yeah, one of her relatives. She told me, Abuna, by the way, after you left, they canceled all her tests that day, and then she was able to drink water. So don't worry, she wanted to let you know that she was able to drink water. See, had to the simplest thing in people's life that they trust in God, God managed it without any imagination. 
every, يعني I could tell you a lot of stories, but every day it's like those who love God, they don't care God is working in their life. God is working in their life. In ways you can never imagine. At the, the same day, the other lady I gave her communion, she was drugged up, she was unconscious. Once I walked in, I told her, are you, I, I thought you want to take communion? I said, I want communion. She woke up. <laughs> I took communion and then she fell asleep. And then after, at night, her daughter told me when she was unconscious, she just woke up, told us, Abuna came and gave me communion, and I was happy, and then she went back unconscious. Just from God is in your heart and your mind, He will lead even your subconscious. How about that? That's beautiful. And glory be to God forever and ever.